With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And now it's our family-friendly flooring sale. Save up to $1,000 and take advantage of our 24-month special financing on our stain-resistant carpet and stylish luxury vinyl at Flooring America. Sale ends soon, so come in today. And uh, welcome back, Hawkeye fans. I say that at the beginning of every podcast I record. If, uh, if that bugs you, uh, reach out to me and I will, I will change that. But um, I don't know. That's just kind of, uh, kind of the way I like to kick off these podcasts. This is Rob Howe with Hawkeye Nation. Um, it is Wednesday, signing day. December the 18th, about 9.30 a.m. Central Time, Iowa City Time. I'm a little bit out of it still, um, like most of you probably. Uh, somewhat of a somber day uh, with Hayden Fry passing last evening, or yesterday, us finding out last evening. Um, that's a big one. It doesn't get much bigger than that when it comes to Hawkeye athletics and uh it's tough it weighs on us I think and I think Hayden would want us to focus on the good and I posted this on our message board last night but I had a uh I had an opportunity my first two years covering Iowa athletics at the Iowa City Press Citizen uh Iowa football uh I was the the second man on that beat with Pat Hardy uh, who's now with allhawkeyes.com and I worked with at the Press Citizen. Um, so I got to know him a little bit. Um, you know, the the two years I was there and the his final two years and covered his retirement and, you know, all of the Kirk Ferentz era. Uh, but fortunate that and – I, and I did some interviews with him just from a historical perspective, different historical pieces through the years where I – would call him out in uh, in Nevada, Mesquite, Nevada, and his wife Shirley would answer the phone and yell for Hayden, and he'd come and we would talk, and he would tell the same stories over and over. Um, but they were they were funny and entertaining every time I heard them. It was like the first time hearing them, and he would laugh at his own jokes, and that's kind of what I remember from Hayden. So that's kind of what I'm trying to. Uh, think about today is is his laugh and his his he his belly jiggle and when he would laugh and that was fun so um and today is signing day so you know Hayden passes along and then a new group of Hawkeyes comes in and the, and you know life goes on here after we all pass and 
I think we'll focus on that a little bit today. And I think John Miller and his brother Jason will have a uh, Hawkeye or uh, excuse me, a Hayden Fry podcast later today uh, that I encourage you guys to listen to. Um, we're hitting you guys with a lot of podcast content this week. Hopefully uh, you enjoy that. It gets you guys through the last work week till we get to the holiday. Um, and it's interesting. I want to share one more thing on Hayden Fry before I go into uh, your questions um, on recruiting this recruiting class uh, and some of, and sharing some of my thoughts. But I remember interviewing Kirk Ferentz. This was years ago. It had to have been at least a decade ago, perhaps longer. Um, and I asked him about, we were talking about recruiting and he relayed a story uh, when, when he, it was a first few years here, he went down to Texas to recruit a young man and was trying to get background information, was having trouble getting background information, but he really liked this kid uh, and wanted to recommend him to Hayden, came back all excited. Um, and just about when he was about to go in and kind of give his, his review to Hayden, Barry Alvarez, stopped Kirk and said, hey, man, I heard that, uh, I heard this kid's got some legal trouble or academic trouble, and I apologize, I can't remember what it was, but there were some red flags there. And Kirk relayed that information to Hayden, and Hayden was like, I don't think so. And I, that to me is when you talk about some of the things that Hayden, how, you know, some of the things that, that Kirk Ferentz took from Hayden and, you know, used when he got, came here to, to um, replace Hayden as the head coach. I think that was one of the things that has stayed, one of the things that have stayed true in the last 41 years since Hayden became the head coach at Iowa. And perhaps before that, I don't know the, the time before that as well, other than there were 17 consecutive not winning seasons, but Recruiting character guys, guys that aren't going to embarrass the program, not take shortcuts. And, and Kirk mentioned this in his statements yesterday um, in the press release from the university that, you know, Hayden showed that you could win by doing things the right way and doing things on the up and up. And I think part of that came into recruiting character guys. And Kirk has continued to do that during his 21 years. And that story has always stuck with me that, that that was Kirk, not that Kirk would have recruited this kid, but that Hayden shared and made the point of saying, we, we want guys in this program that are going to represent it well. And I think that's one thing that, you know, there haven't been as many championships as fans have probably wanted, but just the amount of good citizens and human beings that have been produced from this program during the last 41 years um, is something we should think of on recruit uh, you know on signing day when Iowa brings in a new batch of recruits uh, which they have they are in the process of doing today um, let's see here I don't know what I want to start if I want to start with some of your questions or you know what let's start with the guys that are already in the fold um guys that have already signed their national letters of intent this morning um we have if you go to hawkeye nation and you go to our recruiting board you can see a rundown of the university's tweets 
uh, of the guys that have signed. Deontay Vines, wide receiver from Connecticut, was the first one in. Um, and then Logan Jones. And you can look up these guys. I'm not going to go through position and, and hometown and, and background on all of these guys. Um, I'll go into some specifics. Uh, but again, Deontay Vines was the first. Then Logan Jones, Jay Higgins, uh, Brendan. Uh, this his last name is going to be a fun time for Dolph and and Eddie. Dees Fernandez, I believe, is how you say his last name. Lucas Van Ness, Luke Lachey, Ethan Herkett, Mason Richmond, Josh Volk, Tyler Ellsbury, Yaya Black. Quavon Matthews, Gavin Williams, and A.J. Lawson. So those are the guys that are in so far. How many is that? Um, we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen of the twenty-two known verbal commitments are in. Um, I would expect six more of those, um, and then two of the verbal commitments. I've been told will not sign today, and we will touch on them because somebody, um, one of you tweeted me about a question about that. So I will look, I will, uh, when I get to that question, I will go into the reason those two uh, young men will not be signing today, um, but are still considered members of this class. Uh, let's see here. All right, I'm gonna go in reverse order here because it's just gonna be easier in my mentions to go back through um, the, you know, the questions uh, in reverse order to find them because I, I put the hashtag out there, New Hawk, so it'd be easy, easy for me to find, but a lot of you guys didn't use that hashtag and that's fine, I, I forget to do that too. So um, it's probably just gonna be easiest to go back this way. So let's handle your questions first and then um, we, the, then I will go through, I, I wrote something today, if you want to check that out at Hawkeye Nation 2, which is a close, just a closer look at the class where I look at some different notes and news and notes about the class uh, that's posted on Hawkeye Nation now. You can read that there, but, um, I, and I will go through some of that on here as well for those that haven't had a chance to read it or, or don't prefer podcast form to reading form. Uh, okay, let's go through the questions now first. Um, and this is from Mike. Let me look at his avatar. Looks like he may have a Braves avatar, which is bad news because I'm a Mets fan, but I will answer his question anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still a little punchy. I'm not really awake yet. Um, was Higdon, that would be Karan Higdon, running back from Florida who ended up in Michigan the last time there was some late signing day drama. Ooh, memory is not good for me. Um, I think so, and I don't remember if that was right on signing day. I think that may have been a day or two before. I honestly don't remember. I'll have to think about that some more as we continue to record this podcast, but I don't remember um, exactly when he decided to flip from Iowa to Michigan. Um, and I forget what class Higdon was in as well. I should probably bring up um, my recruiting lists here as well so I can answer these questions a little bit more quickly. 
uh, let's see, that's the 19 class. Let's look at the 20 class, uh, which as of now is ranked 25th by rivals. And this will be fluid today. We'll have to see. Um, I believe Friday is the end of this early signing period, and then we'll have that second signing period in February. So we won't have finality to this until February. But as of now, according to Rivals, Iowa's class is ranked 25th. And for some perspective on that, um, last year's class, I believe, was ranked 41st. And then the previous two classes were ranked 40. Or last year's class was 40 and the previous two classes were 41. Regardless, that gives you an idea of where those classes were in comparison to this one, at least to this point. And again, we'll see if this changes moving forward here. It, it, it certainly will, but how much I can't really say at this point um, because it's, again, a fluid situation. There are kids committing today to other programs in the Big Ten and around the country. Um, and that class put, I believe, when I looked at this yesterday, that, that 20, ranking 25th, or okay, so and two four seven has Iowa at twenty eighth now and seventh in the Big Ten. Um, I believe that rivals, and I will check this again. Um, was ranked. Iowa was ranked. Let's see, twenty fifth, which would put it. It would put it fifth in the Big Ten behind Ohio State, which is at fourth. Michigan at ninth, Penn State at 14th, and everyone's favorite rival, Nebraska, at 18th. And then Iowa would be 25th, and Purdue at 29th, tied with Wisconsin at 29th, Minnesota at 32, Michigan State at 33, Iowa State at 38, Northwestern at 44. These are rivals, by the way. Indiana at 47. And I don't think we need to go beyond that. Rutgers at 59 and Illinois at 66. Oh, uh, and USC at 76. But these things will change, as I said. It's a fluid deal here because there are a lot of kids that still have yet to commit in this period and then in the next period. But to get back to uh, the question that was asked of us, I do not remember much late signing drama and Kirk talked about this the other day that the, one of the one of the things he likes most about this 2020 class is there has been very little drama in this class so that's always nice for the coaching staff because they're preparing for a bowl and preparing at, at this point preparing you know to recruit the 2021 and 22 and 23 classes and beyond because recruiting the recruiting clock is has picked up so much so Coffee sip, excuse me. Okay, back to it. And sorry I didn't have – Mike, if I can come up with a recruiting drama late that uh, I, I've – that's slipping my mind might, right now, I will come back to that. Um, JBM Hawkeye, Jason Moeller, um, and he did use the hashtag. Thanks, Jason. Any surprises coming from this class? Guys, we don't have commitments from. Uh, Kirk was asked this yesterday, or no, not yesterday. What would that have been? Monday, two days ago. Um, if, if he felt like this was, you know, the class that they would have. And 
I'm not sure he answered the question directly or understood the question directly, but I think this is what we're going to have today, uh, the 20 guys of the 22. And then, as Kirk mentioned, beyond that, um, they will continue to recruit in this late period, uh, which goes from now. And it is a dead period now. It doesn't the, – the live period doesn't start again until the bowl games are over. So – the coaches are, are basically focused on preparing for the bowl. And he did not indicate that he expected anything coming this week. So I think we're set with the group. And I would encourage you guys to either look at rivals or uh, 247 for the complete list of Iowa commitments if you're not familiar with it and go back and see the guys that are signing today. I did mention a bunch of them that had already signed uh, a little bit earlier in the podcast. So I, I think this is how this usually works. I would, I would be surprised, Jason, if there weren't, more, there weren't more individuals added to this class in the late signing period. Iowa likes to evaluate under the radar guys in this period uh, in January. And the rosters are so fluid now because we have to anticipate, not that it's going to happen, but you could have scholarships open up if Tristan Wirfs, AJ Epines, and Geno Stone, the guys that have submitted uh, paperwork to the uh, NFL Draft Advisory Board, one, two, or all three of those guys could go. That opens up some more scholarships. You could have guys, and like likely or quite possibly, however you want to phrase it, you're going to have players that transfer out. Uh, of the program that are unhappy with playing time or whatever for whatever the reason so there's a chance that scholarships could open up there Iowa did hand out the three scholarships to the uh, the walk-ons Kyler Schott Keith Duncan and uh who am I forgetting the defensive back from Dowling uh, sorry I, that will come to me too man my memory's bad uh Jack Kerner there it is um so the, this, it's a constant fluid thing, especially this time of year for the Iowa coaches and the roster. So my guess is, and this is just a guess or speculation or projection, there will be spots that will open and Iowa will look to fill them. And, and this could be with high school kids. It could be with grad transfers. It could be with straight transfers. You know, especially if they lose Epinesa and Tristan Wirfs, they could look you know, junior college, guys that may be more ready to come in right away um, and play and help next year or the year, year after that rather than a true freshman that has to develop. So that's kind of where I'm thinking there. I don't have any names for you now, and maybe I'll do a podcast a little closer or in January if, if we start to come up with some more names here. Um, I know I've been doing these, excuse me, prodcast, pod, uh, prod, prospect podcasts allowing you guys to get to know some of the new recruits a little bit closer uh, in, in talking with them. I may also try to do a, a recruiting podcast that's more dedicated to news and notes and things like that that are happening uh, uh, along the Hawkeye recruiting trail. So we'll see about that. We've got, as we, as you guys, many of you guys know, John Miller is moving on. So we're going to have some podcast inventory that needs to be filled so that's a possibility for for sure uh or for sure 
from Kyle, Kyle Bolin on Twitter one hour ago. What has been the biggest change over the last five years in Iowa prospect targeting? Also, how does the uptick in early entry players affect the recruiting board throughout the season? And I think Kyle means the NFL draft, which I addressed there uh, a couple minutes ago. Uh, it's fluid. The recruiting board is fluid, and I think you have to be able to pivot and adjust on a dime. And I think Iowa does a pretty good job of that, trying to, you know, solidify and, and compile the best roster that's ready to compete. It's an inexact science, and you can't – there's just too much movement to be able to perfect that. Um, but I think Iowa does a pretty good job of that, and you've seen that, you know, with – you know, Zach Van Valkenburg, uh, who was at a Division II school that came in and gave them reps this year, to Makai Sargent that came in in the summer a few years ago and ended up helping Iowa running back the last two years. They, you know, the, the graduate transfer punters that have come here um, from Dylan Kidd to Ron Caluzzi to Michael Sleep Dalton that they've addressed that need there. So I have pretty good confidence that the coaches are, you know, looking under every possible rock for players. And that's kind of – and they've adjusted to that with the uptick of early entries into the NFL draft. And then the first part of your question, and I think we've gotten this question in a couple different forms, if I remember, going through my mentions last night to just get an idea of what was on the mind of your you guys in, in asking questions I think the last five years and that's there there that coincides with coaching turnover uh, with you know um, Kelvin Bell Seth Wallace guys that you know and now Tyler Barnes guys different guys that have have helped worn the recruiting coordinator hat uh, I think are all have all been on the same page and I think it's twofold I think and I think Chris Doyle was very heavily involved in this. And you guys have read about the books that he gives the, the team to read, uh, motivational books. Iowa, I think, after the 2014 season, and maybe even a little bit before that, and, and what I touched on earlier with, with the story about uh, Coach Ferentz going to Coach Fry with, with a recruit that had some red flags, Iowa continues to look for those red flags. and recruits to culture and that's kind of a vague out there term that's probably hard to define but if you follow Iowa football you know what the culture is and Iowa makes sure that they, they're going to take they're going to recruit and you know pursue high school players college players junior college players graduate transfers, what have you, they're going to pursue guys that can play the game. You have to be able to compete at a high level, but they're not going to compromise that by, by, um, by signing players that are going to damage culture or they view as players that will hurt the culture. Cause that at Iowa is the most important thing. And I think, when you look back at 13, 14, I, I feel like the coaches felt that the culture was not where they wanted it, that it needed some fine-tuning, uh, tuning it up, so to speak, 
So that you start that with recruiting. And I think they've done that pretty well over the last five years. And, and I mentioned earlier that these recruiting classes are in the 40 range. I think the Werfs Epinesa class were in the 40 range, you know, the 17 class, but it's produced on the field. So I would take those rankings, not with a grain of salt, but understand that those are projections and based on what evaluators have seen subjectively a lot of times seen you know on tape or in person when they're scouting these kids that doesn't define what they will be when they get here so I like what Iowa's done it's it's certainly as I said it's going to take players it feels can play that, that can perform who can perform at a high level but not going to do that by compromising culture and they've married those two ideas together really well. And that's why the team has been performing at a high level from eight wins two years ago to nine wins last year to nine wins with a chance of 10 wins this year. Uh, I think they are going in the right direction. And then just from, uh, what am I, from, you know, what they're looking for, you know, physically from players, they've recruited a lot of guys that are versatile that they can see and project they may project at one position but that player grows or develops into a player that's helping them at another position and we can go down the list here from you know uh Tyler Linderbaum coming in as a defensive tackle um and now is the center uh you look at a kid in last year's class and Logan Lee uh who was recruited as a tight end uh, and now is playing defensive tackle, and you can go on and on. There are guys that, you know, Joe Evans, a guy that walked on as a linebacker who helped them at rush end this year. These are all versatile athletes that can play multiple positions, and I think you, you can't always do that with every position. There are guys that are, <clears throat> excuse me, and Jaimon Colbert's another example, a guy that comes in as a safety and is now a well linebacker. Got, but And there are certain positions, you know, a running back's most likely going to be a running back, receiver's going to be a receiver, uh, defensive back's probably a defensive back, for the most part at those positions. There's not a lot of flexibility there. But when you're looking at tight ends and linebackers, those positions especially, you can recruit to, uh, you know, versatile, really long, linear athletes that you can move around a little bit and can help you at multiple positions. And you can mix and match because you have attrition and you have injuries and you have guys that kind of, you get on campus that maybe you didn't misidentify, but feel like, oh, wow, this guy could help us at this position. So hopefully that answered your question. And I'm going back here. Have you seen a difference? This is from Ben Slife. Thank you for the question, Ben. Have you seen a difference in Iowa in how Iowa is recruiting defensive players with a shift to the more of the 4-2-5 defense? This is an interesting question. Coffee sip. For a lot of this season, and I really – and I, I, I appreciated how co uh, defense coordinator Phil Parker addressed this this year. Iowa played a lot of 4-3 this year. Later in the season and – two opponents and this was the idea from the get-go I think some people were 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 led to believe that the 4-2-5 was going to be the base defense or close to being the base defense 
It's not. It's still the four three, and but Iowa can use that four two five to match up with certain certain offenses, whether it be Purdue or Nebraska, uh, even Illinois to a degree. And we saw that later in the season when they were playing offenses, Minnesota offenses that used more wide receivers and utilized more wide receivers and tried to spread Iowa out a little more. They were able to come in with Dane Belton. So I haven't seen a lot of a shift here, Ben, in, in recruiting differences in the 4-2-5. I think maybe, and I talked about those versatile athletes, I think they're looking at guys like Amani Hooker and Dane Belton, guys that, you know, any, at either whether it be at linebacker, cornerback, or safety, guys that have that potential versatility to move, in, move up a level. or you know, or a linebacker that can handle that. So I haven't seen a whole lot of shift. I, in this class, they, they recruited two linebackers, and there's, there has been some attrition at that position. I think if there's a lean one way or the other, I think they're going to lean more towards maybe safety types that they feel they can build up more to play that cash position and maybe replace – you know, traditional linebacker recruiting with that. But they still took, you know, Jay Higgins from Indianapolis, who's six foot two oh nine, reminds me a little bit of Jaimon Colbert, smaller type linebacker. Um, and then Ethan Herquette from Cedar Rapids Xavier, six three, two thirty, he's more of a traditional linebacker, but he's the type of body type that maybe even can move and work in, in a in a pass rush situation. So I think with, excuse me, IH, Phil Parker and Seth Wallace, the co-defensive coordinator, they're looking for versatility, guys that can move around and give them ability. Cause I don't think they're, they're set with just playing the four, three or the four, two, five. I think they'd like, and we saw it this year with some pass rush packages and different, you know, looks, defensive looks. I think they're looking to continue to evolve uh, on the defensive side of the ball where they can give offenses different looks and be able to be versatile on that side of the ball. So um, a little bit of shift in recruiting, but I don't think it's been major. And, but that's, that's, I think that's going to be, again, something that is fluid. And as they, you know, as, as offenses changes and how, um, you know, Iowa looks to at its personnel that's already on the team. Again, fluid how they will recruit to that. But that's kind of my thought on that. Uh, let's see here. Flipping through some more. A lot of mentions on Hayden, unfortunately. Um, not unfortunate that you guys mentioned Hayden, uh, but sad that I'm looking through them again. Um, let's see here. Ah, going through, sorry. There weren't hashtags on these, so I have to go back. Okay, this is a question that, what's the projection of defensive line after some departures? This is not really a recruiting question from James Davis, uh, but I will take it. Um, I, it's, it remains to be seen. It looks like Chauncey Golston will be back, or at least has not filed paperwork to the NFL Draft Advisory Board, and he could probably benefit. No, he could definitely benefit from another year in college. Um, and another offseason in, in Chris Doyle's weight program. Um, 
But uh, so we're looking at, we don't know about AJ. He's, I would be very surprised if he's not a first round pick. Uh, but that doesn't mean he'll come back. It's up to him. He loves Iowa. He's talked about that. We talked about him at the bowl press, talked with him at the bowl press conference, and he's going to go through the process and get the feedback from the NFL and then make a decision from there. But let's assume that he leaves. That leaves the other defensive end position open opposite Chauncey Golston, and you're looking at Zach Van Valkenburg, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, you're also looking at John Wagoner, who played pretty well this year. And I'm trying to think if there are other guys. I'm not sure if there's anybody in this class, this incoming class, that might be able to fill that. They'll certainly get a chance. Uh, but you got to, you know, guys that were in the previous class. Uh, Chris Reams was pretty light kid out of Van Meter that came in in the 19 class. Uh, Jake Kucharski came in from Wisconsin in that class. But you look at a guy like Joe Evans, there are guys there. And then also on the inside where you lose um, Cedric Lattimore and Brady Reef, you then have um, Noah Shannon that's still there. You have uh, Schulte that's still back. You have Davion Nixon that's still back. I think they've got a decent rotation there. The defensive end – taking over for Epinesa will be the best or be, be the, the, the most, I guess, competed for position at, if AJ decides to leave. Now, if, now, if he comes back, you know, an already monster defensive line becomes that much better. And that's not to disrespect Lattimore and Reef, but I think those guys behind them are very capable. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. I won't spend a lot more time on that. I'm, we're doing, I'm doing a series, uh, not a series, but kind of a periodic, you know, I did the first one earlier this month, uh, depth chart or roster breakdown, position by position breakdown, 1.0, and I'll do 2.0 probably next month, and then, you know, hit it again in the spring. So I will have more answers to questions like that moving forward. From Austin Roberts, what do you think the potential is in this incoming class so far. We've hit on that a little bit, just in terms of, you know, what I was looking to recruit and how recruiting has changed in the last five years. Some of the things that I touched on in, in the piece that I wrote today, a closer look at the class. I think there's great potential in this class. And I would say Iowa needed to, to fortify the tight end position, uh, losing, Fant and Hawkinson to the NFL last year uh, with Nate Weening graduating this year with Sean Byer being a senior next year. Really like what we saw from Sam LaPorter this season in the second half of the season, the true freshman from Illinois. Uh, e Enoch Myaman uh, redshirted this year, but also a guy who I think has a pretty high ceiling. And then in this class, and there are some walk-ons too. And again, I'll get to dig deeper into that. Uh, maybe with some podcasts and some written forms of, of roster breakdown moving forward uh, after the bowl game. But Luke Lachey, tight end out of Columbus, Ohio, son of longtime NFL offensive lineman, uh, Jim Lachey, who also played at Ohio State, uh, really, really good player. Uh, love his film. He's a big kid, 6'7", 220. Uh, he had offers from 
LSU, a bunch of other schools, and then Elijah Yelverton from Cedar Hill, Texas, 6'5", 235, who had offers from a ton of schools, Florida, LSU. Both of these guys were, were, were heavily pursued, and Iowa came away with them in this class. I think they really upgraded the tight end position. Uh, I also really like the two wide receivers. Uh, we talked about Devontae Vines, who was the first letter in today from um, Connecticut, played at the Taft School, which is a, um, uh, a private school. They recruit. So he's been away from home for a while. I think his transition uh, will be smoother because of that. And then Quavon Matthews, who plays at Largo, Florida, for former Hawkeye defensive back Marcus Pascal. Uh, all, both of those guys, if you watch their film, they are big play receivers uh, with the amount uh, – with the, the number of receivers – and just, you know, a really good season this year for Iowa's receiving core. It's been rebuilt by Kelton Copeland and is as healthy as it's been probably for a decade uh, from top to bottom. Those guys will be coming back, so it'll be hard for these true freshmen to break into that. But injuries happen. We saw that with Brandon Smith, unfortunately, this year. And they're – there will probably be an opportunity, at least one for one of these true freshmen to maybe get some reps, receive some reps, because with Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith being seniors next year, uh, Oliver Martin be a junior, but Smith and Smith-Marset will be in their last year. You want to have to, you want to try to, at least with the four game rule, break a few of these guys in or break some of these guys in, get them on the field, get their feet wet. So there's a possibility there. Uh, of those and I may I will look more at this class uh, a little bit later but those are two things that that stick out to me tight end uh, tight end and defensive line as well we talked about some of the guys that are, are you know Iowa's lost all four starters after last year the chance they could lose AJ Epinesa this year uh, you know the two defensive tackles that will be graduating this year Needed to, to replenish that, and I think Iowa's done a good job with, with guys like Lucas Van Ness, Yaya Black. I'm going through my list here. Logan Jones, Deontay Craig, who, other than Deuce Hogan, according to Rivals, is the other four-star in this class. He's from Indiana, really good athlete that Iowa beat some prime schools for. And Isaiah Bruce, who I think is a guy under the radar. And then Michael Lois, uh, the young man who injured his neck and back a summer ago in a pool accident. His future is still kind of up in the air. He's trying to make it back. But Iowa went heavy on the defensive line. Tight end was a, a key position. And I also think wide receiver was a key position. So some of the, some of the areas there. Uh, to answer that question, um, what uh, from Eugene Penny? What will I be looking to add to this class once the signings are complete? Uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier, Eugene. This is uh, a fluid situation. We'll have to see what happens with AJ and Tristan and Gino. We'll have to see if there are transfers. Uh, we'll have to see what comes available in January, whether it be graduate transfer. transfer. I could see Iowa per possibly pursuing uh, another graduate transfer punter. Uh, it's worked out well for them, so they may go in that area, maybe look for some help on the lines. Um, pretty solid elsewhere. 
maybe a defensive back, but they've recruited heavily there before. If I had to pick, I would say maybe a veteran graduate transfer Juco on, on either line, uh, just for numbers purposes or, you know, helping out in, in the near future and then uncovering guys late in the process. And coach Ferentz talked about that the other day, the Geno stones and the Sam Laporta's of the world guys that they, they found later in the recruiting process. So that's kind of where, where my thought is there. Uh, let's see, moving down the list here. Uh, Zach Wittenberg asks, very early to project, especially before spring ball and knowing if anyone leaves for the NFL, but anyone in this class you see playing more than the four games and burning their red shirt, tight end seems the most likely to me. Zach, yeah, we just talked about that. Uh, a lot of you guys have similar questions and, and similar things on your mind, which makes sense. I certainly think tight end is a position where, because I think, I think Bayer and Laporta are, are locked in. We're going to see those guys play. And I also have heard good things about Enoch Mayim. And so I would think that he's going to go to get a chance to play. So that's three guys, but you want to at least get some feet wet. And I'm not sure that anybody saw Laporta playing beyond the four games this year, but it's a position where Iowa has traditionally from Tony Moriaki. Uh, I'm trying to think of other guys. No, a fan. There are guys, they, they, they seem to like to play tight ends, true freshman tight ends, if they show that ability earlier. And I have a feeling Lachey or Yelverton or both will be able to show uh, enough to the coaches to be able to get on the field. I also think defensive line, although it, the, the closer you get to the ball, it's harder to play. And I get that. But I think there may be some guys that they try to get into a rotation on the lines. Um, and I'm trying to look throughout the rest of this class, Zach, to see if there's anybody else that jumps out at me. Possibly receiver. I think they get them to four games. I'm not sure if they go beyond that. Um, and then possibly running back. Um, you, you look, and I, I don't know what's going to happen here, and I, I don't want to – I don't want to speculate a whole lot, but with Goodson emerging late in the season and taking up a lot of carries, I wonder if, you know, guys like Makai Sargent and, and Torin Young, who only have one year left, would look to move on and maybe get more playing time, get more run at another school. And again, that's complete speculation. Those guys are both really talented and also committed to this program and an excellent team guys. So I'm not sure they'll want to leave. If they did, they would, they would, I, I would be surprised that they didn't have Kirk Ferentz blessing. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's certainly uh, acknowledged and thanked guys like Ryan Boyle and Luke, Jake Rudock. And um, who's the guy that went to Eastern Michigan, Tyler Wiggers quarterbacks that have moved on. If, if these running backs see that, you know, it looks like Goodson's going to be the guy. And, and from what we saw late in the season, it does look like he's going to be the guy when he's healthy, although he's going to need some help. I, I, I still am not sure that he can, he can carry the full load. And by full load, I mean every carry. He certainly can be in that 20 to 25 range. But they're going to need some other guys to carry the football. So you look at LaShawn Williams from Oaklawn, 
Richards in Illinois, um, and then Gavin Williams from West Des Moines Dowling. Those guys have a chance. Those guys are both uh, solid running back recruits uh, who had plenty of interest from other schools. So there are possibilities to come in and maybe break through. But it's always hard to say. As you say, it, it is early to project that. And there are guys that end up playing, like Jack Campbell this year, you know, from Cedar Falls played this year, uh, mostly on special teams a little bit, you know, when, when Christian Welch was out at middle linebacker, but mostly on special teams. So they're also – you don't know which guys are going to kind of break through and show enough to be able to contribute on special teams where the coaches look at it and say, okay, the, the value of what they – contribute on special teams is, is greater than the value we get from then redshirting and having another year. So tough to predict that as well, but those are some of my thoughts on that. Uh, Arizona Hawkeye, your thoughts on Texas recruits in recent years, early in KF's tenure, we got all big 10 guys like Babino, Solomon, Scott Chandler, Godfrey Tate from, uh, from Texas. In the 2010s, Josh Jackson is the only Texas kid that was all Big Ten. I didn't know that. That's a good nugget. How important is Hogan and Yelverson's success for future Texas-based recruiting? That's, that's interesting. And we had what we thought was going to be the Texas pipeline back in 2017 with Eno Benjamin, Gavin Holmes, Bo Corrales. <clears throat> excuse me. That didn't pan out. And I'm not going into those stories, fellas, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we, those things have been beaten to death, and you can Google those names and find out what happened. But I, the one thing, and, and somebody asked earlier about what I've seen from the last five years in Iowa recruiting, Iowa is not maybe a, they, it's casted a wider net and not focused in. Okay, we've got to recruit Texas, or we've got to recruit Ohio, or we've got to recruit Florida. They're doing a good job of casting that wider net, hitting Indianapolis, hitting Detroit, hitting Chicago, hitting the Tampa and, and Miami, Fort Lauderdale areas, hitting Dallas and Houston areas. I, I think it helps to have examples of players from a given state in your program to recruit other kids from that state. And I talked about this with Deontay Vines in relation to Nico Regani, and I think that's part of the puzzle, but I don't think it weighs as heavily as, as we might think, and it's different for each individual recruit. Texas is loaded. We're not going to fool ourselves here. It's loaded with talent, as is Florida and Ohio and maybe Michigan to a lesser you know, extent, and I think the Indianapolis and St. Louis areas are very talented as well. And Iowa's done well in St. Louis in pockets of time, and then maybe not has had maybe not enjoyed as much success in certain times and shifted to you know called audibles and shifted to other parts. So I think Iowa's got really good relationships in different uh, parts of the country outside of our region that allows it to recruit all of those areas. And then you know as it narrows the focus on guys in a given class go where it feels like it gets the best fits to re fits to relate to, as I said earlier, culture, position need, uh, ta overall talent, all of those things that they use, the components that they use to, you know, form 
what they're looking for in players, I, I think all plays into that. So I'm not sure if I, I answered your question. I, I think I was going to continue to recruit Texas. It would be foolish not to. Uh, but I don't think it puts, oh, we have to get a certain amount of guys from Texas. I think they're fine getting players from other parts of the country because there's, there are good players everywhere, and we've seen that. Pennsylvania, with Ken O'Keefe returning, Iowa's gotten back into that Pennsylvania, uh, New England area and, and gotten and, and picked up good recruits from those areas. So I, we're still going to see guys from Texas, and certainly if Deuce Hogan and – Elijah Yelverton come to Iowa and have success, that does nothing but help Iowa in the future. Uh, let's see here. How much, and this is from Brent. Uh, I don't want to butcher your last name, Brent. Duhame, I'll give it a shot, and you can correct me on my mispronunciation of your last name. Uh, that's why I like Iowa's uh, online interactive roster. It has, you can click on the little ear icon and it, it allows you to, or, or it says for you the pronunciation of each name. And that's very helpful. And I'm sure they did that for Dolphinetti. Uh, how much of an impact on this recruit, excuse me, how much of an impact on this recruiting class did Deuce Hogan play? Pregnant pause, coffee sip. Um, I, I believe a lot. He was the first guy, the first uh, player to commit in this class in June of 2018. Um, and I had offers from Georgia and other schools that, tra that tried to pull him away from Iowa. And he was so committed. He was so sure of what, where he wanted to be that he was able to share that, translate that, and paint that picture for, for other guys in this class. And I don't know when it started, but these recruiting classes start, excuse me, with a, they start early with a group text. And each time somebody commits, they're added to that group text. So you know, and for all intents and purposes, Deuce was the one who started that group text. And then each guy that came in, he would be interact with. So he's been on that group text the longest and previous classes have done that as well. And if you watch him on social media, um, and I know he's reaching out to these guys, probably with DMs that we don't see, he helped build this class. To what degree, I'm not sure. But if you think about it, and we talked about this earlier, this is a dead period for coaches right now in, in terms of what they can do in recruiting. There are no dead periods for these other recruits. They can contact these kids whenever and, you know, just throw some, you know, put, put a little bug in their ear about something that's going on at Iowa. Did you see Iowa, how Iowa played this week? Did you see how Iowa got its receivers involved this week? Did you see Iowa's defense dominate? Whoever the, you know, somebody like Deuce is targeting, there are ways to just continually impress. But having said that, Deuce is also aware of, you know, what we talked about at the top of the pod, which is culture and what 
these coaches are looking for. So he follows the lead of the coaches, but he's certainly right there with them. And also being the quarterback, quarterbacks always have an impact, particularly on other members of the offense. You know, you, you, that's my quarterback, (laughs) you know, you're going to, you're going to, you know, at least from a projection standpoint, that's going to be the guy you're playing alongside in that huddle with, at least that's the hope when you commit to a school. So Yes, I think he had a good deal of an impact. We did a podcast with Deuce. You guys can find that on the site. Really interesting kid. Scott Dockmer from The Athletic also went down uh, to Grapevine, which is in the Dallas area, and and spent a few days with Deuce. I would recommend reading his story. A lot of great content out there on recruits in this class beyond Hawkeye Nation. So after you've consumed it on Hawkeye Nation, the key word is after or at least during, there are, there are, there's a lot of really good content out there on recruiting. So I encourage you guys to consume as much as possible because our business needs traffic. <laughs> we see guys not to get into um, a commentary on the journalism business, but we were losing, we're losing uh, valuable and talented people left and right. So please consume, click as much as you can on everything you can. Perky Herky. At Roaming Hawk, with the New Hawks uh, hashtag, thank you. How does this class compare to recent classes in your view? It seems the staff has raised their level of recruiting the last few years, being able to get talented kids that fit very well in the program. And we we spoke about this uh, and touched on this a few times, Perky, uh, throughout this podcast. And I think that's it. That's... um, I, I'm I'm reluctant. I, I know we want to make declarations that this is going to be the greatest class that Iowa signed since, you know, insert year. We don't know that. The guys that evaluate these kids don't know that. There are so many uh, factors that go into this, components that go into a guy being recruited, then showing up on campus, then, you know, uh, transitioning socially and athletically to the college lifestyle. So many things that go into this. That's why we see guys all the time that come out of nowhere and are successful college players, particularly at Iowa, because we cannot accurately predict what's going to happen when these guys get to campus. The coaches can't predict that. They judge this as best as they can, evaluate this as best as they can, and then from there, you have to see, you have to do. They get here, it's a clean slate from walk-ons to scholarship. You have to prove yourself. Those stars next to your name on Rivals 247 ESPN, wherever you shop for your recruiting news, they don't mean anything when you get here. You've got to prove it on the field. You've got to show the coaches that you can be trusted out there and show your teammates that you can be trusted and somebody that you can play alongside and help produce what you're trying to produce, win. Um, but in gen- generalities, I butchered that word. How does this cl- past class compare to recent classes? I'm going to kind of put it in the box that we talked about earlier, Perky, and that's that Iowa's philosophy the last five or so cycles to recruit to culture 
and talent and, and meld those two together, I think this class falls in line with that. And then I also spoke about addressing or at least seemingly addressing positions of need. Uh, some good offensive linemen there too. I hadn't mentioned those, but you know, Josh Volk from Cedar Rapids Xavier, one of the top players in the state. And then Tyler Ellsbury, who plays at Byron, Illinois, where former Hawkeye Sean Considine is an assistant coach. Um, and then Mason Richmond from uh, Stillwell, Kansas. All of those guys, I think, have decent upside. And Iowa's really recruited heavily this class and last class. And I guess three guys in this class isn't heavily. But when you combine it with last year's class, a lot of prospects coming in in the 20 and 19 classes that I think are going to help, at least you hope help, make up the offensive line here in the next few years. So those are positions to kind of to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, but I agree with you, Perky. They're getting talented kids that fit, fit well in the program, and that is the number one objective. And I think Iowa's doing well in that area. All right, shifting through here. There's a guy who Stephen Waltz says that Iowa in basketball recruiting rankings literally doesn't ma matter even a tiny bit. So, or Iowa in the Iowa in the college basketball AP top 25. So Stephen says it doesn't matter that they're ranked or not ranked. So I figured I'd throw that out there. Those are the types of things that pop up on my timeline. We all have opinions and hot takes. So let's see here. That might be it, folks. I think that's it from what I had from yesterday. It looks like I've got some new notifications here. We'll see if we have any more questions. It does not look like it. So with that, and then I also posted on the message board if people had any questions. Let's look there. And I don't see anything there. So that clears that. So lastly here, and we've run pretty long here, and I can, I can come back and do more recruiting podcasts where I answer your questions, but let's just go through uh, the story that I published this morning, uh, which is um, a closer look at the, the 2020 Iowa football recruiting class. And I know some of you folks prefer to listen to podcasts and don't have as much time to read. I do encourage you to read. Like I encourage my kids, it's, it's good to read. And it's, it's sometimes easier when I sit down and write. Um, my mind is all over the place with things that I'm doing in my life, whether it's, you know, I have to, you know, pick up my kids at a certain time or I get to go watch, you know, an athletic event with my kids or I've got to go to the store or whatever, walk the dog. My mind is often all over the place. So when I do podcasts, I sometimes forget. But when I'm sitting down to write, I'm usually much more thorough at, at, at uh, sharing and translating information uh, more in depth in this form. So I will go through these one by one, not to take up too much more time of this podcast, because I think we've gone, oh, probably close to an hour already. And I'm sure you guys are getting tired of hearing my solo voice on the podcast. Uh, I don't know as I've done this by myself before. So hopefully not a lot of uh, transition words or transition sounds like um or uh, uh, uh but uh, that's what we use in, in our language to 
to transition, but let's go into this. Um, there, I did it, no, uh, and an R. The first highlighted note or thought in this piece was the quarterback, and that's always the linchpin, as I wrote, of the class. You usually only take one, and it's important. It's, we obviously know it's arguably the most important position on the field, and most people will argue that it is. It's the one that gets the most pressure under the spotlight. Too much credit, too much blame. We all know the cliches. But Deuce Hogan is a tremendous get for Iowa. Uh, you know, offers from Georgia, Tennessee, Baylor, and others. But Iowa was able to secure him early, identified by quarterback coach Ken O'Keefe and, and offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz. And they went hard and got in on, got in on him early. Son of a coach. His dad is his head coach, a great, great fine faith Christian. Uh, just a really good kid. I encourage you to listen to the podcast if you have time. Like I said earlier, in addition to Deontay Craig, the defensive end from Indianapolis, Hogan is the only other four-star by both rivals and 247 in this recruiting class. Who was the last four-star quarterback commit for Iowa, you ask? Well, I don't, you only have to go back two years. Spencer Petrus was a four-star recruit as well. So, Pretty good company there, and those guys will be in the mix to replace Nate Stanley next year. Petrus obviously has a leg up, being the backup this year, and as Kirk Ferentz said earlier this week, has been taking first-team reps through some bowl workouts. So he is the leader in the clubhouse, and we'll see during the spring and summer how that quarterback competition plays out. You know it's going to be beaten to death by us in the media and also be a hot topic of discussion throughout Hawkeye Nation. And I, I mentioned this second bulleted, bulleted or highlighted or bolded, I should say, bolded is the word I'm looking for, uh, item in this uh, story uh, evaluation column that I wrote and posted on the site today. The other four stars, and I mentioned Deontay Craig, so I, uh, I, uh, expose that secret already, uh, ruined that secret uh, in the previous item. But there is another four-star, according to 247, and that's Logan Jones. Uh, 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 he's projected as a defensive lineman, defensive end right now from Council Bluffs, Lewis Central. 247 has him ranked as a four-star. I've seen him. Uh, I went to a uh, what was, what's it called? Under Armour camp in the Chicago area where he worked out when he was an underclassman with some older kids and he held his own without a problem. Reminds me in terms of how he plays with leverage of a Tyler Linderbaum, really strong, big, in-state based kid. Uh, who I think is going to have success wherever Iowa lines him up. I would project defensive tackle, and I think his athleticism, he won the state discus championship last year, also plays basketball. Uh, it starts and is a really good basketball player, and which is amazing when you see him. <clears throat> it's just for how big he is. I think he is a guy that could potentially contribute early and a guy who's – built for success in this program. And I agree with that four stars 
that that 247 puts on him. You know, the it used to be the U.S. Army All-American Bowl. I don't think the Army sponsors it anymore. It's just the All-American Bowl now that's played in San Antonio at the beginning of uh, next month. Logan Jones is the lone Hawkeye recruit in this class who will be playing in that game. As far as I know, I, I don't remember unless somebody slipped past me and during the season, I kind of lose track of recruiting a little bit, but I know Logan is playing in that game that he will represent Iowa, AJ Epinesa, Tristan Wirfs, Tyler Linderbaum are guys that played in that game recently. Um, high class, we talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, where this class ranks. To give you an idea of how fluid this is, when I wrote this piece yesterday, Iowa was 24th in the country Iowa's 2020 class was ranked 24th nationally. It's now, it was 25th when I looked a few, you know, at the beginning of this podcast. Let's see if that has, now it's 26th by rivals. So going the wrong direction, but not surprising because the guys that are committing today are highly ranked guys. And in a lot of cases, the guys that sit at the tables at their schools and put the hats in front of them, those aren't Iowa guys typically. The Iowa guys don't do the hat trick, and I'm okay with that. So um, you'll see that this class move in terms of rankings uh, throughout the, this week and then into the late signing period. But I think there's a good chance, a really good chance, that this class ranks higher than the previous few classes, three classes that were 40 and 41. So that's if you're into this stuff and, and that is important to you, that you know, class rank is important to you. Rivals in 247 has Iowa 28th and 7th in the Big Ten currently as we record this pod. If those things are important to you, that's an update on where things are at right now. So moving on in this piece, uh, the in-state hall. Always like the in-state guys. We've got four in this class. We mentioned, uh, uh, I believe, all of these guys at some point in this. We've got Logan Jones from Council Bluffs, Lewis Central. We've got the two gentlemen from Cedar Rapids, Xavier, Josh Volk and Ethan Herkett. And then West Des Moines, Dallin Catholic, running back Gavin Williams. So those are four guys from in-state. How did Iowa do in-state? Again, we'll stick with rivals here. Jones is the number one player in the state, according to rivals in this class. Excuse me. Volk is third. Herkett is fifth. Williams is sixth. So four of the top six Iowa got. Uh, Iowa State pledged Tyler Miller, uh, a big offensive lineman, is the second-ranked kid in this class per rivals. Blaze Gunnarsson from uh, Carroll Kemper, I think, is headed to Nebraska, and he is fourth in this class. And I think – I know Iowa had offered Gunnarsson, and he visited quite a bit. Tyler Miller visited quite a bit. Not sure if Iowa offered him. Uh, but – those are both guys that Iowa was in on and chose to go elsewhere. I think Iowa may have filled their positions. I think Gunnarsson may have felt more comfortable at Nebraska in its defensive alignment. Uh, and Tyler Miller, uh, probably more opportunities offensive line-wise uh, at Iowa State early. And he felt the fit at Iowa State. So good for those guys. Uh, if we're looking ahead, um, Iowa has already – collected five in-state commitments in the 2021 class, kids that are currently 
juniors in high school. And they had three in the 2019 class. So three, four this year, five, and already five next year. No, excuse me. I have that all messed up. They had five last year and three in the previous class. So five in 19, three in 18, and they have four already in the 2021 class. Sorry for that mix-up. I can't read my own writing or I wasn't paying attention. And there are four other offers out there in state. TJ Bowlers, Thomas Fanone, Jeff Bowie, Brody Brecht. So this class could end up, has a good chance of ending up being the most um, plentiful in terms of in-state recruiting that we've seen in recent years. So keep an eye on that moving forward. Tis better to receive, and I've touched on this already, the receivers and tight ends in this class, I think are Phil needs uh, were priorities. And I, I really like what we're getting from Deontay Vines, Quavon Matthews at receiver, Luke Lachey, Elijah's Yelverton at tight end. I think those guys will be able to con contribute relatively early uh, and have high ceilings. And then we'll finish with my sleeper. And as I wrote, this, this category shouldn't be viewed as me disrespecting any of the other players in this class. I, I've, I've complimented many of them in this podcast and in the piece that I wrote. Uh, but I, each year I just like to, to pick out a guy that I, I see, I've seen film, I've watched the film. I look at his recruitment. I get to know him a little bit. And I try to, like the Iowa coaches, combine all those things to come up with a guy that maybe is not being talked about a lot, not only in Iowa circles, but nationally, that could be a guy that really emerges and excels in his college career. And for me this year, that's Minnesota defensive, in, defensive end Yaya Black. He's already listed at 6'6", 255. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Chauncey Golston, Anthony Nelson types long linear, long limb linear guy, athletic, high motor. Um, I really think when he gets into Chris Doyle's pro strength program and gets with Kelvin Bell and Jay Neiman for technique purposes, I really think that this kid has a high ceiling and could have a really, really nice career at Iowa. And as we talked about earlier on the defensive line, opportunities are going to open up there relatively quickly. So he's a guy that could be leaned on early to help this program. And I will check. No more questions from you guys. And that's pretty much all I have. I've run this thing about as long as I could run it. So with that, I will say farewell for now. Uh, we'll have some more podcasts coming up here, plans to do more prod, pos, uh, prospect podcasts where I kind of sit down, if you will, call and speak with each, you know, a, a specific uh, prospect, Hawkeye, signee, and allow you guys to get to know them a little better. Hopefully you guys are enjoying those. And then we've got the podcast with Greg Bruner moving forward. We're going to have a, a new football podcast. Uh, I, I mentioned this on the podcast with John yesterday. Um, we 
the, the partnership with Colin Cole did not work out. Nothing, you know, no drama there or anything. Just our schedules didn't line up very well. Uh, and we lost kind of connection during the season for podcasts. And we want to have something more regular. And we were having trouble being able to do those on a regular basis, record those on a regular basis. So I think we're going to go in a different direction there. Just waiting to hear final word from uh, the, the, the podcast partner, former Hawkeye that I reached out to. I think it'll be good. And I think you guys will enjoy it knowing his personality. So stay tuned for that. Um, sorry to see John go and, and it's going to leave a big hole in this podcast uh, content you know, inventory that we have. No Miller and Dace is an end of an error, but hopefully you guys will stick with our, our podcast feed and listen to the podcast we have. Uh, this isn't my area of expertise or strength. I do some radio shows. Uh, you know, I, I do some podcasts, uh, but writing is really where I got my start and really where I focus a lot of my attention. So any uh, comments, suggestions, things you guys would like to hear, things you don't like hearing, uh, whatever, whatever comments and feedback you can give me, I would really appreciate. So with that, I will say goodbye for now. And hopefully you enjoyed this podcast and it was somewhat informative and maybe there I'll do these periodically as well, where I take your questions on recruiting, if this is well received. So have a great rest of your signing day or whenever you're listening to this podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.